Welcome to this brand new episode of the Great Mind series. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Zanster. This episode of the Great Mind series podcast is brought to you by Innoversity. Innoversity, the learning experts. Today we're really excited to have Morris Sims with us. Uh, Morris will give a little bit of his background in addition to my introduction, but Morris has a business degree from Auburn, and he's done a master's in management and in leadership. Um, more importantly for our audience, I think, uh, Morris has worked at New York Life for over 30 years. He, is, uh, he has recently um, stepped out of this position, but he has most recently been a vice president and the chief learning officer for New York Life. He is now the CEO of Sims Training and Consulting, and uh, Morris is a speaker and an author, training expert, and a consultant to an awful lot of companies. Morris, we are absolutely thrilled to uh, to have you on our podcast today. Thank you, Jerry. I'm very, very happy to be here. So, Morris, tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be prenatal memories, but where, you know, uh, <laughs> what do we need to know? Well, I guess uh, one of the uh, most interesting parts of my history, uh, my degree from Auburn minored in business, but my major there was chemical engineering. <laughs> and in chemical engineering, you learn a lot about how to think. Um, some people would uh, take issue with with uh, putting thinking and Morris Sims in the same uh, <laughs> sentence. But uh, for the most part, that's kind of what it amounted to. And after five years with Union Carbide Corporation, I decided I really wanted to do something that was a bit more fun, so I decided to go sell life insurance. And selling life insurance for me was a blast and, and had a really good time. And after three years, they said, why don't you come over here and teach other people to do what you do? And that's kind of how I got into this whole training and, and adult education world and decided uh, rather rapidly that there had to be a science behind it. It had to be more than just shoot from the hip. So uh, when I got into the, the training area, I began to get involved with, uh, at the time, ASTD and other sundry areas to, to learn about this whole wonderful idea of uh, helping adults learn to get better at what they do every day. And that, uh, that sort of has been a, a fun thing for me for the past 30 years. And as you mentioned, wound up in New York uh, running the training operation for the field for the agency department at New York Life uh, for a little over 30 years. So a, a couple of a couple of things strike me. Number one, it's it's interesting to me the guests on our podcast what perspectives they bring to learning and training and development. Your perspective um, in chemistry, obviously, you add something to something else, and you always know what the outcome is going to be. So there is a very distinct scientific mindset that you bring to this. Um, the transition from chemical engineer to insurance salesman sort of interesting. Uh, that that had to be a, a, a pretty hard directional change. Um, the other thing that that I think is is interesting is that you have been in this for a long time. I mean, this industry is relatively new. I mean, people have been being trained obviously for thousands of years, but in in terms of of a significant dedication to training and development, that's relatively new. Tell us. What, where'd you start and, and what transitions have you seen in this industry over your 30 years? It, it, well, it's really been very interesting, Jerry. The, the initial work was basically let me show you what I do and how I do it. And 
we're going to teach you the basics of, of how to sell and, and what our products are and how they work and how they benefit the people that you're going to be working with. And it really became more of a mentor kind of a relationship at first. And then we began to learn more and more about adult education and, and adult learning and the, the way that adults do learn. I maintain that the, the pedagogy around adult learning is very different than it is around how kids learn. Mm-hmm. My wife, she taught for, I guess, 30 years herself Hmm. in elementary school. I walked into her classroom one day, kind of unannounced, and she looked up and she had all her kids in the room there, each in a small group doing something different. And it was amazing to me at the time. And she stopped, she, she clapped her hands and said, children, this is Mr. Sims. He is my husband. Please say hello to Mr. Sims. And it was the proverbial, <laughs> hello, Mr. Sims. <laughs> but what was striking about it, Jerry, is that each of these little groups of kids were doing something different. And Carlo was only working with one small group at the whiteboard mm-hmm. on some mathematics. And all the rest of them were doing some learning activity and doing it in a different manner and in different small groups. I looked at Carl, shook my head, and I said, you know, it, it's difficult for me to keep 10 adults all doing the same thing <laughs> at the same time. Right. And to this day, uh, that's been been interesting to me, but it also led me to begin to experiment with that whole idea of small groups and, and working with adults in small groups. And it, it, as you know, it works very, very well. So uh, there's a lot to be learned, I think, on all different sides of this thing. But I do still maintain that adult learning is different than uh, what our kids go through today or what we went through back in uh, in those years past when we were in school. Absolutely. You've seen, <clears throat> I mean, when you, you started, you described this as, as kind of a mentorship. This is almost one-to-one or one-to-three or one-to-five or, you know, watch what I do and repeat it, right? This is the way we learn an awful lot of stuff. Um, we learn how to work. We learn how to you know, get, uh, attain skills. We, we, we learn how to do things by, while watching what other people do and then replicating it. Um, not always sure there's a whole lot of intentionality to that. And so as you're observing these groups, you're seeing there, there really is a, a case for a lot of intentionality in, in learning. How has, how has technology, I mean, starting 30 years ago, you know, 30 years ago, you never heard of a learning management system. You didn't know what it was to be SCORM compliant. You weren't storyboarding things. How, how have you seen technology change the nature of this industry? When I was a brand new agent in 1984, one of the training tools, I, I guess you could say it was one of the first kinds of e-learning uh, mechanisms that we had. One of the training tools was a film strip and a 33 and a third album. <laughs> I, I remember I, you, you just took me back to uh, Mrs. <laughs> Brown's third grade class where there was a beep and then you switched the slide. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm right back in the third grade again. Exactly. So that's the level of technology that we <laughs> utilized back then. That and the really, really important thing was an overhead projector and a blank transparency. <laughs> and when we had those two things, we felt like we were in pretty good shape. Yeah, you guys were rocking the technology there. Oh, man, tell you what. So it's gone from that to, as you mentioned, to to where we are today. And over that period of time, we we began to to see some possibilities and I think, as as everyone on the the cast here today, on the podcast here today, would agree, it, the the learning curve was steep. But then all of a sudden, it accelerated over the last what five, ten years. Yes, <clears throat> it accelerated just oh, 
outer, uh, outer space rocket level acceleration to where we are today with what we can do with audio and what we can do online and and what we can do with the the whole idea of what we're doing today producing a, an audio program that's going to be shared across the web and today with our uh, virtual classroom systems we can even share uh, as everyone knows video we can share uh, powerpoint we can share all sorts of things including uh, my desktop and show you exactly how i'm running right. a particular uh, computer program and that's something that we got into quite a bit I, I became very interested in the whole idea of the virtual classroom we built a studio for our classroom eventually we started out uh, well i walked by an office for one of my direct reports and there he was with a laptop computer, a speakerphone, and four people all huddled around this little laptop trying to do mm-hmm. what we called back then a webinar. Mm-hmm. We built studio a studio for that, uh, which became a long story. And then it began to become so involved and so important to us that we actually built a second studio as well. Mm-hmm. So um, that whole genre, that whole methodology of adult learning via the web has become uh, – of of a big interest to me, and I, I think it's a good thing out there in the real world. But it's a lot more today than just voice over PowerPoint, because right. as technology has improved, uh, just as I might do if I were listening to you and I have this conversation today, I might be checking my email, I might be you know working on something else, driving your car. Uh, yeah, you're right, exactly. <laughs> and for an audio, that's okay. But if if uh, if I really want you involved in my my virtual classroom, I've got to design and build that a lot differently than what we used to do when it was just, wow, we've got PowerPoint on the screen and we can talk. Yep. So it's become quite a different different world out there today. And I think the same thing's true with computer-based training where we've got uh, a myriad of different methodologies for building and then presenting training on a computer screen. It's, it's, it's gotten fascinating. I mean... It, one of the things that technology makes possible that's just fascinating to me is is I can truly learn from the greatest minds in the world. Yes. Um, my only opportunity to do that 50 years ago was to travel to wherever the greatest mind was and uh, spend some time sitting at his or her feet. And now, I mean, and that again, that's 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 you know been true of human history for thousands of years. <laughs> and and suddenly, I can sit at the feet of those people and never leave. Um, I can truly be taught by the greatest teachers and the most experienced, uh, thoughtful minds from anywhere in the world, which, which is unbelievable. Um, I have a theory, and I'd like you to react to it. Okay. Um, I think when, when technology changes and makes things possible that weren't possible before, I think we tend to think that all the magic is in the technology. Like all we've got to do, it, it seems like for a while, um, online learning was everything. And I still think it's it's huge. But I think the pendulum swung from that one-to-one, one-to-three, one-to-five mentorship uh, model to everything can go online. And I think even though the technology is getting better, uh, the training programs are becoming interactive, we, we do a ton of that stuff at University. We do animations and and cartoons and we do claymation and try to draw people into stories and get them to react to it. Um, but I, I, it seems like the pendulum is swinging back 
we're asked more and more often about blended learning, um, where it, the Internet is a wonderful tool, but it's not going to solve every learning challenge that we have. Um, what do you think? Well, I have to agree with you completely. I, I, I believe that there are two different things that have to happen for someone to become really good at what they do. There has to be a body of knowledge that the individual holds, a body of, of, of just good old-fashioned knowledge. But then there also has to be a set of skills that that individual is very good at. I believe that we can deliver knowledge and people can learn new knowledge in a bazillion different ways today. But I still believe that the best way to learn a new skill is to actually be face-to-face -face with someone and be able to practice that. Now, every everybody, I'm sure, read Outliers and Daniel mm -hmm. Cole's The Talent Code, and we've learned about practice in 10,000 hours. We've got to find ways to get, get there a lot faster than 10,000 hours right. in the business world. But right. the fact is, the way we learn a skill, in my opinion, faster and better is to practice that skill in the real world with real human beings. Mm -hmm. And that's especially true, Jerry, with sales skills. I, I can teach you everything you need to know about life insurance and financial services, but, you know, to really help you learn how to sell and how to help someone solve their problems, because that's what, in, in our world, that's what we do. We help people solve problems, and in doing so, there may be some products that, that we have that they could purchase that will help them solve those problems. So it's very much a consultative sort of a process. Mm -hmm. You can't learn that from an audio or a video. It's like I my golf game is terrible. In fact, I don't really even have one. <laughs> but at one point in time, I tried to learn by watching videos of Jack Nicholas, And you know what? <laughs> it just doesn't work. Yeah. You might have learned some fashion tips, but uh, your swing didn't improve, <laughs> right? Not at all. It's just like when, you're, when your 16-year-old passes that driver's license test and they walk out of the door. What's the first thing they say when they walk out of the door, Jerry? Well, they can, they're a licensed driver. I want to drive by myself. I'm ready. I know what I'm doing. I passed. Yeah. Dad, can I drive home? Sure. Yeah. And every mom and dad out there, you know what you said. You said, yeah. there is no way in anywhere no. that you're going to drive home. <laughs> Because you've never had the opportunity to put your hand on the wheel. You've never had your oppor the opportunity to right. put your foot on the brake and try and stop the car. And I don't want to go through the windshield today. So, no, you're not going to drive home. And that, I think, is the, the, the best example that I know of, of the difference between learning a skill yeah. and having a body of knowledge. We, we, we do a lot of instructional design work. And so, you know, everybody thinks that technology does that. But. It doesn't. There are real human beings who have to dive into what's the topic, how can we transfer knowledge, how can we transfer skills, and even at the highest level, how can we develop wisdom in someone, which is always a challenge. But the illustration I've used to an awful lot of companies that we work with is I can teach you everything you know need to know about welding. I can teach you the safety. I can teach you the chemistry involved. Um, I, I can give you all that stuff and you'll pass a test, but by the end of the day, you will not know how to weld. You're going to need to stand next to somebody that knows how to weld. And <laughs> with, with that person saying, don't do that, uh, or, <laughs> you know, you, you're going to have a big problem. or you, you actually need to practice. You need to uh, be involved in real-world settings. And you need to be ideally standing next to someone um, who is 10 clicks ahead of where you are and can help you get to where they are. 
And so we, we, that's why we do an awful lot of blended. There's, there's some wonderful stuff that technology can do. We can teach the safety stuff. We can uh, transfer knowledge. But transferring knowledge and having the skill, that, that's where for us the instructional design stuff comes in and, and diving into what exactly you're trying to train this person to do. And, and you got to keep them engaged. I think that's the key in, in my world of instructional design, the way I look at it. It's not only finding ways to to deliver that knowledge, it's finding way into skills, but it's finding ways to engage the learners so that they stay engaged in the process. Mm-hmm. If, if we can't engage them and keep them engaged, then all the knowledge and all the and all the instructional design, all the methodology and all the technology in the world isn't going to be of, of much use to us. Right. And we could have another whole podcast to discuss the whole learning environment that we're in today with with the millennials of the world yeah our millennials are learning differently than we did or or i won't presume jerry for you but i know they're learning differently than i did that many years ago and we've got to take that into consideration yep we have to we have to remember who the audience is it's that old ethos pathos and logos thing we've got to know who that audience is and we've got to love them and we've got to get to where they are in order to engage them and to truly keep them excited about learning what it is that they're trying to learn. It's, it's a high bar, but I think someday, I don't think we're there yet. And by us, I don't mean just the, our, our, our crew at InnoVersity. But someday, I think that there will be a fine line between entertainment and learning, and it will be so fine as to be indistinguishable. Um, I, you know, I've used this illustration with our team, but I, I look back on um, the Schoolhouse Rock stuff, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Un- unbelievable. Un- I mean, you, t- <laughs> you taught me about the Constitution. There's a catchy little tune. I memorized it immediately. I loved it. Um, and, and so you can tell now I am of your vintage. Um, <laughs> well, Jerry, you got conjunction junction yeah, going through my head right, right. now, man. I, I was sitting with a with a uh, relative recently um, <laughs> at at our cottage, and she was uh, she started singing a a song, and she sang all of the presidents of the United States <laughs> that she had learned in the third grade, and this brilliant teacher put all the presidents to a song. It was fairly repetitious, and she ripped through all of the song. And it was back from second, third, fourth grade. And, and I'm just, I'm smiling and I'm sitting there. I thought, your teacher figured out how to teach you and engage you or even, inter- I know nobody likes the word entertainment, but to entertain you, you, you actually learned a skill, you, you, you learned knowledge and it was fun and, and it was a, a, an entertaining way to do it. And here you are 40 years later and it's still stuck. Um, amazing. I, I, I think at some point, when when the learning training development industry crushes it, it will be something that it'll be a course that I take. Course is a dry word, but it'll it'll be a course that I take that I will want to go home and say to my wife, "Hey, watch this. It's really cool." Um, and I, I don't know that we're there yet. Uh, I don't. I haven't seen a whole lot of examples of it, but. I think that fine line between entertainment and learning and developing and training hopefully uh, gets erased in, in, in the coming decade. 
What a great concept. I mean, that's, uh, you, you, you hit the nail on the head for me with that right there. It all boils down to, to being able to keep people engaged and wanting to learn. I used to tell our team all the time, if you build it, doesn't mean they're going to come. Right. Uh, it worked for uh, uh, whoever, Kevin Costner was in that, that wonderful movie, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work in our, our world of training adults. If you build it, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come. And even if yeah. someone of superior or formal authority says you must go and you must be there, we all know that putting uh, someone's rear end in a chair and having them sit there for an hour doesn't mean that they learned one dadgum thing. Right. So there's a whole, there's just, I think you're right on target. It's got to become the point where people want to go through the process. They want to do whatever it is the design is, and they want to learn. We, we've had, I, I've, I've had some experience in, in movie and television. And uh, I've often thought it would be interesting to um, bring in a director. Not a learning and training and development person, a director. So we've done our instructional design, our theory is sound, the content is sound, but to bring in an actual um, Hollywood director and say, okay, here's the script, make it sing, make it interesting, make it playful, um, make it something that I can't look away from. Um, we've done this a few times because of friends I have in, in, that are actors, that are fairly well-known actors. We've, we've done some voiceover work, which has been kind of fun. But I, I think there's another step where somebody who is incredibly visually minded and entertainment minded could add an entirely new wrinkle to, uh, to the kind of products that, that we create. Boy, I think you're right, man. That would be a whole lot of fun, too. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think they would teach us because the, the directors that I've known, um, they see things the rest of us don't. They're just incredibly visual people. And the background colors all mean something. I've been on a number of movie sets, and everything in the frame is meaningful. Um, and, I'm, and, I don't, and, and the sequencing is meaningful, and the facial expressions are meaningful. Um, I'm not sure we're thinking in this industry at that level yet. I still think we're still a bit enamored with the technology, and we haven't really thought if this technology were married to fantastic storytelling and visual arts, um, we could do some profound things. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And having having done a, a, my share of video production uh, throughout the last 30 years, Every year we would produce an hour-long compliance video, uh, <laughs> which everybody <yeah>. hated. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was it was yeah. in, it was incredible. the The first genre, the first generation of that was the head of the compliance department staring at the camera, and the one thing people took away from it was that they never noticed that he ever blinked. Right, <laughs> which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we went from we went from that level, and he's a, a dear friend of mine. Uh, we went from that level to an interactive, almost a uh, 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 daytime TV show format. Yeah. And the directors that we worked with, you're absolutely right. These were uh, uh, TV directors for the most part who freelance in that in that business a lot. So they may be directing the Sunday evening news on ABC and then come right. to to us to direct our video. And it, it their insight into all of those different things that will engage the audience 
was truly amazing. It was it was where you sit. It was how you sat. The motion that you used, the the body motion, the body language. Right. I have a friend uh, who. Uh, Dr. Randy Marshall has his PhD in communications, and and he's he's just a wonderful guy. But he keeps talking about we've got to learn to talk a talk with people, so they will want to listen to us. Hmm. And I think that too is is just a very important point that we've got to learn to how to engage people, even one on one, even even uh, when you're sitting in front of someone, learn how to engage with them so that they will listen. And moreover, so that you can listen to them. Right, right. It's incredible. Well, it the uh, to kind of sum up this part, I the technology is wonderful. The ability to communicate is fantastic. Um, I think we've lost something of the art. There's there's an art to communication, and even the inclusion of art itself. Um, I think the ideal class, the ideal course, the ideal training module, whatever we want to call it, is not just technically sound and um, you know intellectually correct and logical and, and well-designed, but it's also art. There's an artistic component to it. There's, there's something that not just moves your mind, but it moves your soul too. I think you're right. So I don't, I don't know when we get there. And I haven't seen it yet, but uh, that, that's that's where I'd love to see our our industry go. Um, tell us less, some lessons learned. I mean, you've been you know in in one company uh, for thirty years. What what are some of the things that you learned specifically in the insurance industry? Um, what were some of the challenges you needed to overcome? Great question. The um the process that we utilized, and for the most part, many uh, companies in the industry utilize, I mentioned earlier, is a consultative sales process. When we realize and when we help people understand that what our agents do in, in this industry is we help people solve problems. We help people overcome challenges that they have in the arena of financial things, financial services, and we help them. We're, we're sitting on the same side of the table that they're sitting on. It's not like the guy that sells widgets. Mm-hmm. The guy that sells widgets walks in or the lady that sells widgets walks in and says, Jerry, you bought red widgets last week, man. They were really good. But look at this. I've got brand new blue widgets. Let me tell you what the difference is between a red widget and a blue widget. It's yellow. That's the difference. <laughs> And, wow, man, Jerry, you need a red widget to go with your blue widget. Let me show you how, and it only is going to cost you. In fact, I tell you what, Jerry, I'll make you a deal. We'll give you two red widgets for your blue widget right now. <laughs> That's a totally different sales process yeah. than getting together and talking about what your challenges are, what you need, and where you would like to see your family and your future of your business go. Having that discussion and talking about ways to help you accomplish that, ways to help you maintain your employee base, ways to help you keep your key employees that that have the knowledge base and the and the skills and the talent to do what you need to do, showing you ways to to help them want to stay connected with your company, uh, showing you ways certainly to protect your family uh, and to protect the families of your employees. That's a different world than most sales processes that people think of when they think about 
oh, you're a salesman. Well, getting that right, understanding that process was a big challenge or is a big challenge for the general public and for the people that that come into the insurance industry because most folks who come into the financial services industry do so without a lot of background, without a lot of, of knowledge base and without any skills in training. I used to say that it was the folks that uh, that were coming in probably – uh, the last thing they sold was probably Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> um, so we had to teach them this whole idea because they walked in thinking that sales meant I need to sell you a widget and right. I need to make sure you buy that widget. Whereas our approach is more one of talk to me about what you want to achieve, where you want to go and what you want to do. And let me see if there's some things that I might be able to bring to the table to be of help to you and to help you get to where you want to go. You train those two skills totally and completely in a different fashion. And hmm. when we recognized that and people, and, and they recognized it long before I came with, to work for in the industry, but when, when that's recognized and then you recognize that you have to learn that differently, I think that helped move some things forward very rapidly. So that's a good lesson to <clears throat> the folks who are listening in and thinking that, about the training they have to do to do diagnostics on what you're actually, I mean, we, we, we call that uh, obviously part of the, the design process and, and thinking through what is it you're trying to train, how are you thinking about training it, and at the end of the day, what will these folks know? But that question of how you'll train different things and then to, to do some diagnostics on what those different things are will lead you to methodologies that will be more akin to what you're trying to do in the first place. Oh, absolutely. And I think there are probably many folks out there listening to us today, Jerry, that are involved in sales training of one type or another. Mm-hmm. And it's, in my opinion, that's a perfect example of the whole idea of a, a knowledge base and a set of skills. To be a, a good salesperson, if you will, yep. I, I don't particularly like the, that definition or that word, but to be a good salesperson, you're, there are things you must know about the process of selling. And then there are skills you must have to be able to go out and build relationships and to to gain trust and confidence with the person that you're trying to help solve problems with. And it really does become the whole idea of influence. Is It's another area that I'm very, very interested in right now is, is the whole thought well, about what, what does it take to build my influence mm-hmm. and what is influence. And it's certainly much more than... than uh, well, it is not, in my opinion. Right. Uh, I define influence from a positive standpoint, personally, and in my work, because coercion and manipulation are not, in my opinion, positive influence. That's a different thing altogether. Influence is that that ability to positively impact someone else's life and to, to impact their thinking and their the way they do things or the way they choose to move forward. Uh, so sales certainly has to have influence. And that is a part of this whole idea of learning how to sell without being that uh, <laughs> that canned widget guy. Well, and it says something about who the person is, too. That's an interesting concept because it, it, it also says something about who the person is that's doing the selling. To, to be known as an authentic person, you have to actually be authentic. Amen. Oh, right. yes. To, to, you know, to be known as a person of virtue, you actually have to be virtuous. And um, I, I, so it's not just a set of skills, here you go, 
you know, here are all the right buttons to push. I, I, I think if, if they're being trained correctly, they're also thinking about not only who they are right now, but also who they want to become. Yes. Yes, so, very much so. And it's, it's so much different than, uh, the, 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 in, in the sales world, sometimes we, we've been taught uh, certain language to use and that that language is going to be magic. You know, Mr. Sims, what can I do today to earn your business? Right. <laughs> you know, and stuff like that just gives us right. all a bad, a bad right. name. But it's, it's, it's that kind of thing that is not uh, influence. It's not gaining positive influence. It's right. not professional consultative selling. Yep. And uh, so there's a lot of difference out there and a lot of things that, that need to be done to yeah. to help people learn how to become that professional salesperson that uh, doesn't wind up looking like, uh, I'll show my age here again, Jerry, Herb Tarlick <laughs> in his plaid jacket, you know, <laughs> on WKR. I remember him well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The, uh, yeah. I don't know if this will make it in the podcast or not, but when he was announcing that there was a blizzard attack, a giant lizard attacking New York, uh, Cincinnati, <laughs> and because uh, because the B on the teletype wasn't working, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, Herb, yep, I remember him well. <laughs> um, hey, tell us tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. You've got uh, Sims training and consulting. Um, what kind of work are you doing? Well, that's a great question, Jerry. I've been doing this now for a week, so. Uh, <laughs> So you have no idea what you've been doing. That's right. That's right. Uh, PracticalMorrisSims.com is the website, and we've just barely got that up and going. Uh, I've got a couple of books in progress, one on innovation and one on uh, 15 basic skills that that, uh, everybody needs to know. And the fact that we as leaders need to be teaching people those skills because – you're not learn you're not taught how to do that sort of stuff in college, basic work life skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we've got those kind of things going on. Um, I am, I am very interested in doing some more speaking. I've, uh, been blessed with the opportunity to do a lot of, uh, keynote motivational kinds of things over the years and still love to do that. Great. And just, just getting started, my friend got a business plan in hand and, uh, going to start sending out some subscriptions for the, uh, for the blog and get some folks hopefully involved and see if we can't have a positive impact on, on the folks out there, uh, who need a positive impact when it comes to practical leadership development. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's good to see the old dogs be a little entrepreneurial, isn't it? <laughs> and it's a lot of fun, too. It is, absolutely. Well, I, I, I kind of warned you that this was coming. Um, the people that we have on the podcast, on the Great Minds podcast, I always ask the same question, and we always end the same way. Um, tell us your favorite story. <sighs> Jerry, I admit, uh, and I'll admit to the to the audience here that you gave me a heads up on that, and I've had a terrible time keeping that question from running around in my head while we've been talking. Because <laughs> I, I should have just sprung it on you, huh? That yeah, been exactly. Fair. Right, exactly. right. The best story that I have is uh, I, I'll tell it because it's very important to me and my family. And I, I ask for uh, everyone's patience as I, I tell a story about life insurance. Uh, but it's been a very big part of my life for my entire life. I was in New York City one afternoon about 5 o'clock. I was putting on my tennis shoes because you, you walk in New York City, you walk to the train station, and it can be as far as a mile or a mile and a half away. So I'm putting on my tennis shoes, the phone rings, and usually – 
well, say many people sometimes won't answer the phone right at five o'clock or right after, but I chose to answer it. And back then you couldn't tell who was calling. Mm -hmm. And it was my daughter and she's 15 years old. She said, dad, come home now. Dad, come home now. That's never good. No. And I said, well, honey, I'm changing my shoes, putting on my tennis shoes, be there as fast as I can. I thought she wanted to go out to dinner or something. She said, no, dad, you don't understand. Mom just took Ross to Morristown Memorial Hospital. Mm. And that was my 11-year-old son. Is my 11. Mm. <laughs> He's not 11 anymore, but at the time, that sure. was my 11-year-old son. He had been practicing his favorite sport, which was wrestling in middle school. And his friend said, Ross, you're not right today. Something's wrong. You need to call your mom. So... She did. He called his mom. Mom took him directly to the doctor, and, and bottom line, the doctor came out and said, Mrs. Sims, take him immediately to the hospital. Don't go home. Don't pack a bag. Don't do anything. Go mm -hmm. immediately. The best endocrinologist in New Jersey is turning around on the Garden State Parkway, and he will meet you there. Oh, wow. Turns out Ross's blood sugar was 750. Oh, and my, goodness. And my son was then diagnosed as a juvenile diabetic. When you, when you have something like juvenile diabetes, type 1 diabetes, yep. you become totally uninsurable right. from, from a life insurance standpoint. On the way to Morristown, as I was breaking a speed record in every speed law in New Jersey, my 15-year-old daughter turned around and looked at me and said, Dad, I am so glad you bought life insurance on us when we were kids because Ross won't be able to get any more, will he? Wow. She knew that. And I said to myself, man, she's been listening. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that, that just absolutely blew me away. I, I remember one day sitting at the counter watching Ross count Cheez-Its and put them in little plastic bags because he had to be so very careful about the amount of carbohydrates he ate. Sure. He looked at me and he said, Dad, or I looked at him and I said, Son, I don't know how you do it. At your age, I don't think I could have had the discipline about this that you have. And he looked at me and without blinking an eye, he said... Dad, if I don't, I'll die. Right. So I tell that story, and there's more to it that I won't take up the time today to, to tell. But uh, the point is simply this. Um, life insurance on kids is important. It's not because something's going to happen to them and, and they're gonna, you're going to lose them. It's because they're going to need it in the future. Right. And it's better to get it on them today while they're young and healthy and it's cheaper and get it done now and, and prepare that for them for their future. And the other, the other major part of that story, the reason I tell it is this. Um, juvenile diabetes, type 1 diabetes, is a horrendous disease. Mm -hmm. And the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation is doing some tremendous work to try and eliminate that whole disease from our culture. And I, I share that because a lot of folks think that, oh, you're diabetic? Well, you just take a little insulin every right. day. It'll be fine. Not type 1. No, it, it eats you alive from the inside. So... I, I tell the story for awareness. I tell it because it's very near and dear to my heart, and I hope everybody enjoyed it. <laughs> how uh, how old is he, and how he's doing? How's he doing now? Ross is twenty nine years old. He's an attorney, uh, and uh, after spending four years as an agent with New York Life, he said, "Gee, you know, this really isn't for me, Dad. I want to go to law school," which was something he's been talking about since he was about twelve years old. Huh. So he did. He went to law school, graduated, and because of his experience as an agent and now the law degree. He's working for New York Life uh, in our advanced planning area, working with agents who are, are doing estate planning work and, and business planning work. So it, it all turned out to be a pretty good deal overall. Fantastic. Well, that is a great way to end, Morris.
Um, well, I hope I hope it's been enjoyable for everybody, and uh, look forward to hopefully having the opportunity to chat again sometime. Oh, yeah, when your books come out, let us know. We'd love to have you back on. There's sure uh, the twelve skills you mentioned. I'm sure I'm missing about a half a dozen of them. So <laughs> <clears throat> that would be a good opportunity to talk again. Uh, Morris, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your stories and your insight and your wisdom. And uh, we're, we're just thrilled to have you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity, Jerry. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Great Mind Series podcast with me, your host, Dr. Jerry Zanstra. Please make sure to subscribe to our show as well as share the word with your coworkers and friends. Again, the Great Mind Series podcast is brought to you by Innoversity, the learning experts.